Hey, good morning, everybody. How you like our weather back? I think that's better than seven feet of snow, though. I, I think that's pretty good. So that's a deal. Hey, uh, a couple things in the bulletin. So uh, if you're new or visiting this morning, welcome. We hope you feel like home and hope you feel uh, close and uh, close to the Lord and close to other people. Uh, if you look inside the bulletin, so if you're new or visiting, we're in the middle of uh, a banquet called Step by Step, and we're two weeks away. So here we go, right? Northview Church, here we go. So a couple things that you need to know. If you look inside the bulletin, there is um, this uh, envelope right here, and that is uh, if you want to give a gift of money for that. We have someone who's put up a $1,000 uh, matching gift and said if we will raise $1,000 in the next two Sundays, they will match it with $1,000. So that you double your money, that's a good thing. That's a very generous offer. So that can be some encouragement. My wife says she needs, uh, she needed nine. Now she needs seven turkeys this morning. So we're cooking turkeys for the deal and put that. Also outside, when you go in the lobby, you'll see the boxes against the wall. If you look on the information desk, uh, you will see for gifts, for uh, toys and food, and they'll tell you which ones should get. So if you're running through, um, you know, Costco or Wynn or wherever, Safeway, and you see a package of stuff and you want to buy it for that, that would be great. So we got to get that all in. The biggest one that we need now also is table hosts. And that is where families come in. They come in. There's a counselor with them. They come in. But you would sit at the table and be the Northview host. You would talk to them, say hi, and you might say, oh, that's really scary. Good. All right. That's how we can take steps of faith, and you need to be able to do that. So I want to encourage you to consider that. And if you are, talk to either my wife, Pam, who just bolted out and you can't see, or uh, Tiffany Sanders. And, uh, but we do need more table hosts, and that uh, is really important. So we've got uh, two weeks to go for uh, Thank Offering Sunday, which is what we do when we come into Thanksgiving. And, uh, and all that we take in will go towards the step-by-step banquet. So... Give that some prayer thought and uh, engage in that and uh, help us with that. All right. We are, uh, if you're new or visiting this morning, we're in a series called Hashtag Hope. And this morning is the culmination of that series. We're going to wrap it all up uh, this morning with a bowl. If you are new, I would encourage you um, to go on our website and maybe listen to a message or two before this one. It might help put it in context. Because um, sometimes you just come in cold and like, wow, where are they coming from, right? So if you just go on the website and do that, that would be great. But uh, what I want to talk about this morning is there's two uh, pieces of hope. One, there's hope, micro, right? That's me, my hope, my hope for what my life will do. But then there's hope macro. Uh, what is God hoping in? What does God want to do? What's the bigger picture? And we're going to look at the macro picture here today. All right, as, as I believe it's laid out in Scripture, and I believe it's laid out really clearly. So before we do that, let's pray. Father, thank you this morning for those who have gathered to honor you, who have gathered to hear your word, who gathered to respect you, to take you seriously. And I want to pray, Lord, that uh, you say in your word, those who honor you, you honor them. And uh, Lord, you know our hearts this morning. You know what conversations are taking place, uh, just like that stop sign with Zach. What a great illustration. How you stop us and say, hey, yield. Come back to me. 
And uh, Lord, as we look at this this morning, uh, this will not be a spoonful of sugar. So we pray that uh, you'd help the medicine go down in the hope that you provide through your son. And we give that to you in your name. Amen. Boy, where does Mary Poppins come into a prayer? All right. Oh, well. There we go. All right, let's... uh, uh, I'm going to be going through a number of scriptures this morning. I'd encourage you to get your Bibles out or your phone or whatever you use and, uh, and follow along. We're going to start this morning um, in Romans chapter 8. This is hope in the context of the big picture. This should be familiar to most of us. It reads like this. For we know that the whole creation has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth until now. And not only the creation, but we ourselves, who have the first fruits of the Spirit, groan inwardly as we eagerly await for the adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies. For in this hope we were saved. Now hope that is seen is not hope, for who hopes for what he sees? But if we hope for what we do not see, we wait for it with patience. And the idea there is we have promises from God that God has given And we are sitting down here, and it says, while we're down here, we groan. Anybody relate to that? Right? If you're over 40, hello. Right? We groan. You start to realize stuff breaks apart. It starts to fall apart. And we see injustice. We see all kinds of terrible things happen. And we start to go, this is not the way this is supposed to work. And so it says we groan, and and we look at what God is promising. And so it's talking about... This having hope in the midst of suffering and affliction. Again, we've talked about it in the previous messages. Go back uh, on the website and you can follow those uh, from the previous weeks. But last week we read in Second Timothy, the thought I want to begin with this morning is, Indeed, all who desire to live godly in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. All who desire to live godly in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. So let's just cut right to the heart of the matter this morning. All right, let's lay the cards on the table. Our hope in Jesus is designed to take us and sustain us through the fiercest of trials. And I want to look out, look this morning to the argument that Scripture lays out for that as we move towards that. First of all, if you uh, wonder, is suffering a necessary part of the development of our hope? I want to show you that it is. If you look in Romans 5, 1 through 5, it says, Therefore, since we've been justified by faith, the idea there is I, God has drawn close to me with his grace and I have asked him to come into my life. We have peace with God through the Lord Jesus Christ. Through him we also have obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand and we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. Point number one, notice this. It is not that I am in hope so that my glory is achieved or arrived at. What we're looking at here is the bigger process of history in that all of this arrives at the hope of the glory of God. So when we're in the Christian life, we're living the Christian life, God is for us, but what we're hoping for is the glory of God. What we're cooperating with, why we are a church, why we gather together, why we walk when nobody else is around, why we do that is for the hope of the glory of God. That what I'm doing is contributing to the greater picture of the glory of the Lord Jesus Christ. It is not about my glory, and we really get that turned around. 
It is for the hope of the glory of God. Not only that, but we rejoice in our, what does it say? Sufferings. Knowing that suffering produces endurance, right? You go through something hard, you learn to hang in there. And endurance produces character. And character produces what? Hope. And hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who's been given us. In other words, when we go through difficult things, sometimes what we have to stop and do is say, you know what, Lord, this probably comes from you and I need to own this. I need to wear it. I need to let it shape me. And instead of whining, I need to choose joy. By the way, joy is a choice. I need to choose joy. And I need to let you shape me. And in that shaping, I will arrive at having a deep and abiding hope and peace is what this passage is saying. Now, this is something we might differ and disagree with God on. Any of you ever argue with him about that? Well, you're looking very holy and sanctimonious right now. Never, Mitch. Right? But here's the thing. God thinks we need discipline. I always get excited about that point. I can see you are as well. That's awesome. Look with me, if you would, at uh, Hebrews. Consider him who endured from sinners such hostility against himself so that you may not grow weary or faint-hearted. When we grow weary or faint-hearted, what do we do? We lose hope, right? Have you been there, right? This is not theoretical. This is not something we're talking about. We haven't experienced. We get worn out. We get tired. I'm not sure I can keep going. What are we saying? I'm losing my hope. I'm not sure I can hang in there. That's what we're talking about here. It says, consider him who endured for sinners such hostility against himself so that you may not grow weary or faint-hearted. In your struggle against sin, you've not yet resisted the point of shedding blood. You have forgotten the exhortation that addressed you as sons. My son, do not, aren't you glad it doesn't say daughters? <laughs> Inclusive. My son, do not regard lightly the discipline of the Lord, nor be weary when reproved by him. For the Lord disciplines the one he loves, and he chastises every son whom he receives. Now, listen to the rest of the passage. If you have it, follow along with me. But go from verse 7 on. It is for discipline that you have to endure. God is treating you as sons. For what son is there whom his father does not discipline? If you are left without discipline in which all have participated, then you are illegitimate children and not sons. Besides this, we've had earthly fathers who disciplined us and we respected them. Shall we not be... Uh, shall I'm sorry, shall we not be more subject to the Father of spirits and live? For they disciplined us for a short time, as seemed best to them. But he disciplines us for our good, that we may share in his holiness. For the moment, all discipline seems painful. Amen? Come on, engage in this emotionally. For, did you like it when you got whooped? Hello? For the moment, all discipline seems painful rather than pleasant, but later it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by, it, trained by it. Therefore, lift your drooping hands and strengthen your weak knees and make straight paths for your feet. In other words, stand up and lean into grace. This is not buck up on your own strengths. This is not brownie points. This is stand up, lean into grace. God gives grace, so own it, wear it, accept it. And go down the trail, down the path, down the journey he has for you. By the way, would you have picked all the trails you've gone down? Notice how they've picked you? 
Do you suspect that more will pick you in the future? I think so. And we better get out of, I'm not going down that trail. You can take your old stinky trail. You go for a hike. Okay? We've got to get away from that. If God has laid that out for us, we have to walk down it. Strive for peace with everyone. And this phrase, which I think is so critical, for the holiness without which no one will see the Lord. If you don't go down that trail, if you don't allow the Lord to walk with you during suffering and afflictions, then we never become holy. If we never become holy, we'll never see the Lord. And right here, I think we come to a major point of misunderstanding within the church. Most of us, and when I'm speaking about this, I would, I would say most of the American church, weigh it out in your mind, right? You read different things, you watch different things, you guys are engaged as much as I am in watching the current trends going on in our country. But I would say for most of the American church, as we talk about this topic, believe that hope should lead us to happiness. Is that not true? Right. And you hear a lot of preaching and, uh, you know, it's about, hey, do this and you'll get what you want. Pray this way and you'll get what you want. Do this. No sorrow will come your way. You will be happy. Um, and there is truth that Lord brings great joy and he brings great blessing and great promise. Right. We've all experienced that. But there's also this other side of holiness. And most of us believe that Hope should lead us to happiness. You know, the right to life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. I mean, after all, it's in the Constitution. Must have been there by God. Now, if we were to translate this into English the way we use it, it would put it very simply. If God loves me, he will make me happy. So bring it on. Come on, Dad, show me your love. That car I want, that boat I want, that house I want, that raise I want... You know, the pleasure I want, the trips, bring it on, and man, I will be happy, and I will bless you. By the way, parents, does that work? Have you ever done that with your kids? And what, did they ever go, oh, I am so thrilled with you, parents. You almost gave me everything I wanted. Now, if you would just add this, what? Add, I just did all this, right? You ever see that happen? Here's, here's, I want to walk around this point and anchor it a little bit. The goal of the Christian life is not to make us happy. The goal of the Christian life, the goal of hope, is not my happiness, but holiness. Right? That's the goal of the Christian life. Gary Thomas wrote a book called Sacred Marriage, and he pens this really well in regards to marriage. Uh, I tell couples all the time, hey, most of the time when couples come in and they want me to do a wedding, they're thinking about what they're going to get. They're not thinking about what they have to give. Right? And we call that after they're married, nine months, a year, whatever. We say the honeymoon's what? Over. Why? Because suddenly suffering and sacrifice come in. Ooh, ow, ooey, it's hard. Icky, Steve. You never told us about that. Oh, yes, I did. You just weren't listening. Hello? All right. So in his book, Sacred Marriage, Gary Thomas says this, God designed marriage not to make you happy. He designed marriage to make you holy. Ooh, boom. When's the last time you heard that preached at a wedding? You know, and people applaud. Yeah, that, that's, that, 
It's a little different twist on that, right? These days, weddings, if you listen to the vast majority of them, are about my rights, our happiness, holiness. That doesn't even show. Why, would, why in the world would that even be valuable? But the truth is, holiness is very valuable. You know, if you really think about it, happiness is like tissue paper. One good sneeze and you blow through it. <laughs> right? It's about how long it lasts. As a matter of fact, if you really think through what Scripture says, the great hope of the universe is that I can be redeemed and be holy like Jesus is holy. That's really the great hope, right? The fires, here's what I'm suggesting, the fires, the pressures, the afflictions, and the sufferings of our life are used by God to intensify our hope, purify our character and motives, and make us like Jesus, holy. And when you understand that, then you understand you're going to run into difficult things. You're going to run into seasons that you didn't pick. And you're going to discover something that is really kind of an oxymoron in the Christian life. Because we think if everything went well, I would really know Jesus and love him because he's been good to me. What you find out is when you go through suffering and affliction, you would have never picked to go through that. Nobody signs up for that kind of stuff. But coming out the other side, you know Jesus in a way you would have never known him. And you know God's love in a way you never would have known it before. And God reveals himself in a way you've never seen him before. God, what I'm suggesting this morning, like a good father, is much more interested in our holiness than he is in our happiness. Which may explain why a lot of our prayers aren't answered. Because if you really dissolve a lot of our prayers to their essence, it's God, give me the stuff I want so I can be happy. He's really not. Have you ever noticed he's not that intent on answering that? Pretty much you get a gonk, right? But if you start praying, God, do what it takes to make me holy. By the way, that's a very scary prayer. That's like, God, teach me patience. Right? Those, those kind of prayers. He makes it very clear in Scripture that we as his children will go through the furnace of affliction and that it is designed to the praise of his glory, not the praise of our glory. And if you read that in the desert wanderings in that context... It it changes the way you read that story out of Exodus. Now, why am I saying this? Because God's going to roll out judgment. It's not a popular topic. It's something that's kind of nobody's paying attention these days. Uh, Not many anyways. But in 1 Peter chapter 4, he says this for... And the question is, how will God roll out judgment? Here's how he's going to roll it out. For it is time for judgment to begin with the household of God. And if it begins with us, what will be the outcome of those who do not obey the gospel of God? And if the righteous is scarcely saved, what will become of the ungodly and the sinner? And therefore let those who suffer, suffer according to God's will and trust their souls to a faithful creator while doing good. Peter says, don't be an idiot. Don't suffer because you've, you've done bad stuff. But if you're going to suffer, suffer because you're a Christian. Suffer for the name of Christ. Now here's the question out of that. Will we really suffer? Right? Will we really suffer? I'm going to read out of uh, Daniel chapter 7. Daniel has a vision, and it's a vision of all these different types of mo- mo- creatures that come out, monsters if you want to call them, and they come out in his dreams. And this last one he sees, the fourth beast, is it's said exceedingly terrifying. He said, Then I desired to know the truth about the fourth beast. Fourth, oh gosh, Fourth beast, blah, 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 right? 
which was different from all the rest, exceedingly terrifying with its teeth of iron and claws of bronze and which devoured and broke in pieces and stamped what was left with his feet and about the ten horns that were on his head and the other horn that came up before which of them three fell, the horn that had eyes and a mouth that spoke great things and it seemed greater than its companion. And then Daniel says this, As I looked, this horn made war with the saints and prevailed over them. When's the last time you heard that preached? As that beast made war with the saints, he prevailed over them until the ancients of days came and judgment was given for the saints of the Most High. And the time came when the saints possessed the kingdom. In Daniel chapter 12, he says this, there will be a shattering of the power of the holy people. Boy, that's exciting, huh? You don't like that because it's Old Testament? Let's go New Testament. In Revelation 12, it talks about the dragon making war, and it, this is, it's a whole um, story in, in chapter 12, and you'd have to read the whole story. But it says, Then the dragon became furious with the woman. And it's a whole parable about Mary and Jesus being born and this whole thing. But it says, Made furious with the woman, went off to make war on the rest of her offspring, on those who keep the commandments of God and hold on to the testimony of Jesus. He stood on the sand of the sea. In other words, this dragon's going off and he's going to make war against the ones who stick to God's word and the ones who stick to the testimony of Jesus. Uh, John uh, Headley this morning was up for prayer time this morning. He said there's just an incident uh, in Africa again where uh, they came on the bus, separated who believed in Jesus, who didn't, and then killed the ones who believed in Jesus if they wouldn't renounce Christianity and read the Koran. Just line them up. It's happening in our day. In Revelation 13, it says this. Also, it was allowed to make war on the saints and to conquer them. And authority was given over to every tribe and people and language and nation. And you can see that coming with the Internet. I'll tell you this. Whoever controls the Internet controls the world. They control commerce. They control trade. They control business. They control government. They control information. So what's our response with that? Because if you're like me, I'm freaking out on the inside, although I look very mature on the outside. The call for that is for patient endurance. In 13 it says, And the beast was given a mouth uttering haughty and blasphemous words, and it was allowed to exercise authority for 42 months. It opened its mouth to utter blasphemies against God, blaspheming his name and his dwelling. That is those who dwell in heaven. And it was allowed to make war on the saints and to conquer them. And then it says this. And all authority was given to every tribe. And authority was given it over every tribe and people and language and nation. And all who dwell on earth will worship it. Everyone whose name was not written before the foundation of the world, the book of the life of Lamb who was slain. If anyone has an ear, let him hear. If anyone is taken to captivity, taken captive, to captivity he goes. If anyone is taken to be slain with the sword, with the sword he must be slain. And then it says this, and here is the call for the endurance and faith of the saints. In other words, God's told us ahead of time what's going to happen. He's told us ahead of time how it's going to happen. And he's told us ahead of time what we have to do. 
And it's not simple, and it's not easy, it's not pretty, it's messy as all get out. And it's going to be extremely costly. God's call in this is that we would be overcomers. And I want to look this morning and look at um, what God promises. Do you know that God promises you a crown if you're faithful? Not only, there's not just one crown, there's several different types of crowns. There's uh, numerous crowns. I want to look at a few of them this morning. First one is a call uh, this morning to be an overcomer. We represent that with this crown right here. All right. Being an overcomer. In Revelation chapter 12, it says, And I heard a loud voice in heaven saying, Now the salvation and power and kingdom of our God and the authority of his Christ have come. For the accuser of our brother has been thrown down, who accuses them day and night before God. And they have conquered him by the blood of the Lamb and by the word of their testimony. Notice that that's consistent with what we've been looking at all morning. For they love not their lives even unto death. Being an overcomer in Revelations uh, chapters 2 and 3, uh, seven churches, Jesus says in each one, to him who overcomes, I will give. And he lists the things that he will give. There are rewards for persevering and hanging in there with endurance spurred by hope with the things that we come across that are trials and tribulations. So crown number one is the crown of overcoming and we see this in 1 Corinthians. Do you not know that, all, uh, that in a race all runners run, but only one gets the prize? Run in such a way as to get the prize. Everyone who competes in games goes into strict training. They do it to get a crown that will not be lost, but we do it to get a crown that will last forever. Therefore, I do not run like someone aiming, running aimlessly. I do not fight like a boxer beating the air. No, I strike a blow to my body and I make it my slave so that after I have preached to others, sounds like that's directed at me, I myself will not be disqualified from the prize. Right? The idea there is that God will give a crown if we run our race well uh, for overcoming really the sinful nature and the flesh. The second crown that uh, is mentioned in Scripture is the crown of rejoicing. Put that one here. You say, what are we going to rejoice in? In 1 Thessalonians it says this, For what is our hope, our joy, or our crown in which we glory in the presence of the Lord Jesus when He comes? Is it not you? Indeed, you are our glory and our joy. These are the people that I've invested. These are the people I've led to Christ. These are the people I've discipled. These are the people I've walked alongside with and encouraged. These are the people I've ministered to in compassion and mercy. These are the people that I've invested my life in. And Jesus says, when we get to heaven, we're going to see what we actually did for them. And it's going to be called a crown of rejoicing. Because we will rejoice in the lives that we have impacted who are in heaven with us. That's a cool crown, really. If you want to be spurred why you should share Christ... Man, you want to kick it up in heaven? You know, if you have one person there, okay. If you had a hundred there, wow. What if you had a thousand? Wouldn't that be an audacious prayer? God, I ask that you would let me lead a thousand people to you before I die. Starts with one. The third crown is the crown of righteousness. 
And this is uh, making right choices in anticipation of Christ's return. In 2 Timothy, Paul says, I've fought the good fight, I've finished the race, I've kept the faith. Now there is in store for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award me on that day, not only to me, but also to all who have longed for his appearing. The idea here is we've been talking this morning about the path or the trails that you you go down in life and how some of them pick you and you don't pick them. But Paul says, I go down the path that God has picked for me here. He says, and I've finished the race. I've done it well. I've gone down what life has picked for me and I have handled it before the Lord right way. And it says then there is a crown of righteousness. There are, you know, the idea today, if you want to put that, maybe that's confusing. Here's the deal. Everybody's doing it. Uh Uh-uh, no, they're not. There's a whole lot of people that aren't. There's a whole lot of people saying, no, Jesus told me not to, so I'm not. Why? Because he told me not to. I don't care what the other reasons are. And God says, when you get to heaven, there will be a crown of righteousness for doing the right things in his spirit, in his grace. There's another crown called the crown of glory. This one is a crown for shepherding the flock of God. In 1 Peter, it says this, Be shepherds of God's flock that is under your care, watching over them, not because you must, because you are, but because you are willing. As God wants you to be, not pursuing dishonest gain, but eager to serve, not lording it over those entrusted to you, but being examples of the flock. And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the crown of glory that will never fade away. This is the crown that's given to those that God has called into leadership. And he says, if you handle leadership well, if you do it right, there will be a crown of glory. This includes elders. This includes deacons and deaconesses. This includes those who take lead ministry positions in the church. That would even include the nursery. All right? Saying, when you handle that right, when you take care of the flock that's under you, and you you shepherd them, not because you have to, so you hear me say all the time, right? It, it's not a have to, it's a get to. It comes out of this passage. That's where it comes from. You know, if you're doing ministry because you have to, wow, that is like chalk dust, right? Dry oatmeal. Right? You ever try? That's. But if you get to and you do it well, God says, look, I've not forgotten what you've done for me. There will be a crown of glory. Then the fifth crown is what's known, oddly enough, as the crown of life, or in other words that we would know it, as we've talked about this morning, is the martyr's crown. If you look at Revelations 2.10, Paul is talking to the church there in Philadelphia. He says, Do not be afraid about what you're to suffer. I tell you, the devil will put some of you in prison to test you, and you will suffer persecution for ten days. Be faithful, and here's the key point, be faithful to what? Even the point of... Death. Be faithful. That's what it says. Come, come hell or high water, stay true to Jesus. Be faithful to the point of death. And I will give you life as your victor's crown. There is a special, if you read in Revelation, there's all the people that died martyrs' deaths uh, up to this point in history. And then in the uh, last times, in the, in the end days, there's the great persecution that will break out and there's another whole group of people that die in that hole 
tribulation period. And God has crowns for those people who their testimony and faith has cost them their life. And what I want to say this morning, you probably won't hear in most places, but listen to me carefully because I think I'm dead on the money on this. The odds are highly likely that some of us will have to die for our faith in Jesus. Yes, here in America. Is the timing is right, maybe many of us. And the question I have this morning is, will your hope hold you as an anchor for your soul, firm and secure, in the midst of that kind of heat and that kind of test? As you're pondering that, I want to give you Jesus' encouragement in this. He says, I am coming soon. Hold on to what you have so that no one will take away your what? Crown. Do you know you already have a crown? It's been given to you. And Jesus is saying, don't let anybody take that crown away from you. The one who is victorious, I will make a pillar in the temple of my God. So when we're thinking about crowns, it often it'd be, oh, I'd like that crown, or oh, I'd like that crown, or yeah, that crown, or that crown. There's, a, there's another crown that we have to think about. That's this crown. The crown of thorns. Of which all these crowns will be thrown at the feet of this crown. They will be immaterial when this crown becomes apparent. Peter says, because of that, therefore with minds that are alert and fully sober, set your hope on the grace to be brought to you when Jesus Christ is revealed that is coming. I want you to have hope. I want you to have hope for your families. I want you to have hope for your future. I want you to have hope for your jobs. I want you to have hope for your marriage. I want you to have hope for your kids. But more than anything, I want you to have hope in the Lord Jesus Christ. And it's coming. Because you know what I found? When that hope goes out the window, all the others crash too. Therefore, with minds that are alert and fully sober, set your hope on the grace to be brought to you when Jesus Christ is revealed that is coming. Hebrews says it this way. Remember those earlier days after you'd received the light. That means when you were saved. Remember you didn't know Jesus, now you know Jesus. Remember those earlier days. He said you endured a great conflict full of suffering. Sometimes you were publicly exposed to insult and persecution. At other times you stood side by side with those who were so treated. You suffered along with those in prison and joyfully accepted the confiscation of your property. That would be an interesting one in America. Joyfully accepting the confiscation of our property. Because you knew that you yourselves had a better and lasting possessions. So do not throw away your confidence. It will be richly rewarded. In other words, as the screws get tightened, as the lid gets put on, as the pressure builds, as the threats come, as the dare uh, is thrown at you, to capitulate and to cave in and to walk away from this stupid old book of myth and legends and to walk away from that fable and myth of a guy who never existed in the first place. Hebrews says here, do not throw away your confidence. It will be richly rewarded. You need to persevere so that when you have done the will of God, you will receive what he has promised for you. For in just a little while, he who's coming will come and will not delay. But my righteous one will live by faith. I take no pleasure in the one who shrinks back. 
But we do not belong to those who shrink back and are destroyed, but to those who have faith and are saved. God is looking for a generation that will stand into and lean into the grace and not shrink back. What are you intimidated by? And where does your hope falter? It's a good time in history to measure it right now because you've got room to measure it. Scripture says, approach God while he can be found. Because when the storm hits and the flood hits, it'll be too late. So measure it ahead of time. Let's pray this morning. Father, as we've walked through these several weeks and talked about your hope, as we look at that crown of thorns, it just pictures for us again the incredible cost that you had. It says you went through the shame of the cross for the joy, and we could translate hope in there as well, the joy or the hope that was set before you because you knew that many would believe in you. And Father, we know you're not about halfway faith. We know you're about all the way in faith. You expect us. You have hope for us. You never lose your hope for us. That is astonishing to us because we lose hope for ourselves. There's a lot of things happening in this world, Lord, that only you know the timing of. But it's a great, great moment in history for us to lock into our hope at the coming of you the second time. May we find anchored. May we walk the trails that you pick for us, including the ones with suffering and affliction. And may we find your joy. May we find your peace. May we find your salvation. And may we find your hope. And we ask this in your name. Amen.